This is Michael, you're listening to Models of Masters, and I'm so grateful you're here. I'm breaking down personal stories, learned wisdom, and pieces of insight I hope can help you along your journey. Head over to my website, michaelbecker.org, for much more. And with that, let's get right into the show. In 1990, there was less than a dozen marketing channels that you could use to get your message out. You had in-person events, direct mail, fax, telephone, TV, print, such as magazines, ads like classifieds in the paper, in-store signage, radio, and some display like billboards. But in the 30 years since, in conjunction with the advent of the internet, the number of channels, platforms, and conduits to communicate with potential customers has grown a hundredfold. In tandem, we've witnessed this explosion of content to fill those avenues. And for the first time, there emerged an opportunity for entrepreneurs and businesses to build content-led communities, audiences of followers and subscribers that you owned and had direct access to communicate with via dissemination of original value-adding content. Over the last decade, Content Marketing Institute, has become the leading informational resource in the world for marketers looking to leverage content to spur and support growth of their business. CMI was founded in 2007 by Joe Polizzi, now deemed the godfather of content marketing. When he began the company in 2007, Joe thought that it would be a network style platform that would connect brands in need of content services with creators, consultants, and freelancers. But by interacting with early stage followers, he quickly identified a different, much more all-encompassing business model. Two years after launching with his initial idea, he pivoted and set out to create a multi-revenue stream media company that would become the leading authority in the world for content professionals. When we first started CMI, I had no idea what the revenue streams would be. At least I had an idea in my mind. The initial product was a matchmaking service for content marketing, like the eHarmony for content marketing. And we were gonna match up brands who needed content marketing services with agencies. And that didn't work out so well. And before I gave up on the whole Content Marketing Institute idea, I actually, luckily, started to go through a lot of our blog feedback, emails that I received, and they were asking questions like, Joe, do, do you and your team do consulting? Joe, my team needs content marketing training. Joe, are there any events out there for content marketing and enterprises? And I just couldn't, be, I didn't, didn't, didn't listen in the first place. I wish I did, but it took me a while. So we started initially the concept for what became Content Marketing Institute in 2007. And this was in late 2009 made the pivot to what became Content Marketing Institute in May of 2010. And then I wrote down, I remember in 2009, I scratched down on a napkin, a cocktail napkin, actually. And I put in the middle, you know, that we were going to be the leading informational expert for content marketing. And how are we gonna do that? We were gonna do it through a print magazine by being the leading informational resource online for content marketing. That's contentmarketinginstitute.com. And then that we were going to launch an event content marketing world that happened actually a year and a half, two years later, and that became the main driver for revenue. At its inception, Joe did not know what Content Marketing Institute would be, let alone which revenue streams would prove most lucrative for the business. Content marketing as a function relies upon audience member feedback. When growing a content brand, you do not have to know exactly what you'll be, what products you'll sell, or exactly how you'll monetize. Your audience will tell you that if you listen. So my learning in this whole thing is put out great content on a consistent basis, but then you have to set up your listening posts, listen to what your audience needs. And they really wanted an in-person event. And that 
became the driver and ultimately became a six, six and a half million dollar event and was one of the reasons why we were able to sell for what we did in 2016. Now, with any content-led initiative, that is any publication, platform, community, or audience-driven project where you're attracting and cultivating a loyal following, the content itself is not the asset. The asset that you're building is the audience. But just amassing an audience for the sake of gaining a big following isn't the goal. The goal is to create a cohort of people who look to you as the authority in your niche, who know, like, trust, and ultimately buy from you at a greater frequency and with higher LTVs than non-subscribers through the creation and promotion of consistent, high-quality articles, videos, episodes, and more, content entrepreneurs around the world are establishing their expertise, building massive followership, and driving sales of their products and services as a result. One key takeaway Joe has hammered home time and time again is the importance of building subscribership as the number one priority of any content-driven business. With time, you'll be able to measure the behavior change of subscribers versus non-subscribers in order to determine the value of a subscriber to your business. And in Joe's case, he was able to determine their magic number, the quantity of CMI's initiatives that someone needed to be subscribed to in order to maximize the lifetime value of those individuals. And for CMI, that number was three. So the main platform for Content Marketing Institute was the blog. And we would end up sending a blog post out there. Initially, it was five days a week. Then it went to seven days a week. And we adjusted as we went. And that started to get our initial subscribers in through email. So really important that we started with our own property with rented land and that without, without using rented land social media. And we were moving forward there. And then as we started to launch different things like the podcast, like Chief Content Officer Magazine, like the event, we started to ask the question, who are our best customers? Who spends the most? And it takes a while to do this because you have to have some kind of a CRM database marketing automation system where you can track these things. And as we started to bring it together, we realized that our magic number was three. And it didn't matter which three things that people subscribe to. So it could be the blog, email newsletter, and they go to the event. Or it could be the event, the Twitter chat, and, um, and our webinar series. Uh, it could be the magazine, email, and our workshops that we do. Whatever it was, our magic number was three. And we knew if we had our audience subscribe to at least three things, those were the people that spent the most amount of money with us. Makes sense, right? But a lot of people don't look at that data. So what we realized was, hey, let's not put a lot of pressure for sales on just getting an email subscriber. Let's get an email subscriber and let's get them subscribed into one to two other things. So that's what we really worked hard to do and that worked really well for us. So I'm a big fan of not the hard sell at first once you get a subscriber, get the subscriber, deliver ongoing value through whatever your platform is, and then start adding opportunities to subscribe to other things. And then you'll see an amazing customer, your most profitable customers. I first attended Content Marketing World, CMI's flagship conference held in Cleveland every September back in 2017. And it's true, they had earned my unfettered trust by serving me ongoing value through the blog, newsletter, magazine, and podcast for a while before I petitioned my company to attend the big event. But before I bought the conference, I had already reaped life-changing value from CMI for months and months. And by the time I discovered the event, I was primed to attend regardless of the cost. 
And that's another crucial nuance here. If you give free value in excess and over deliver on the little touch points leading up to your high ticket offer, you'll create exponentially more trusting customers and you'll be able to charge a premium on your offer due to the investment made in building that trust. The equation for sustainable growth in 2022 and beyond is to give over and over and to give away all the knowledge for free and then to sell the implementation and application. And that's exactly what CMI did and how they earned my repeat business. Now, CMI's success was anything but random. Yes, Joe had to be flexible in shifting things to find the right product market fit. But you heard him explain how the evolution of his media property happened over a decade, not a few days. That's another key that I think online entrepreneurs, especially Gen Z and Gen Xers, have to understand. Success is never overnight, despite what people make it seem. Joe sold his business for over $17 million in 2016. That's what you see on the outside. But what you don't see is the years of struggle, adaptation, and incremental growth. Still, strategy was a massive component to international growth for Content Marketing Institute. The company wasn't reliant on any one business unit to drive growth. They have multiple lines of revenue, including consulting, a magazine, an awards platform, multiple branded events, and sponsorships. There's several key pillars that Joe knew he had to nail to maximize his valuation in alignment with his goal to cash out with what he calls forever money. We made some decisions in 13, 2013, 2014 to acquire some properties. And the reason was, is when I was looking at, and again, it if you're going to sell your company, it depends on what you want to sell it for and what you're willing to take. And when we did the math on the whole thing, we knew that at the end of the day, we wanted forever money and that forever money was at least $10 million USD. And after, you know, we had to get to about 15 million after taxes would get us to 10 million, all that stuff. So we weren't trending in the right direction or as, as quickly as I wanted to because we wanted to start the selling process in 2015. So we ended up looking at a couple things. We knew a bolt-on awards program was an opportunity for us. And we believed we needed a West Coast technology event to add to Content Marketing World, which was our large enterprise event. And so we went out looking for those opportunities. I made my short list of the awards programs and the events that we could go out and purchase, built those relationships, took nine, 12, some cases, 18 months. We made three overall purchases to add to that valuation. And without those um, add-on products that we were able to buy, we would have never got the valuation we ultimately did in 2016. So as an owner, as a content business, you just look over time and see, okay, where are we at? What do we need to do? And if you want to sell, figure out how much you want to sell it for, write it down. And you can get a, an idea of valuation. If, if you believe that you're going to, if it's an event company, event companies I knew at the time were about eight times earnings, eight to 10 times earnings. So we could take our earnings and say, okay, we're going to sell it for eight times and we can see where we're going to be at. Are we at that $15 million number or not? So you can look and see what type of a business are you? Are you a consulting business? Are you a course-driven business? What, what kind of content business are you? Hindsight is always 2020. But having built and sold a successful content-led business, I wondered what Joe would have told himself if he could go back 15 years to when it all began. Uh, it would probably been focused more on email. It took probably a good 12 to 16 months before I figured out that email was going to be the thing that we had to really focus on email subscribers. And we lost a lot in the meantime. And I don't think we worked as hard as we could have until about 2011, 2012. We put the systems in place to make sure the offers were right for email. And we were focusing on, you know, 
you have search engine optimization, going to landing pages and signing up for something, some kind of ebook, research report, whatever, and get a person signed up for email. So that was critical. And even today, if you look at the most valuable companies that are being sold, they're email-driven companies, uh, valuation like a morning brew or the hustle being bought by HubSpot. There's a really important distinction with what Joe just alluded to. Content marketing should not replace your other sales and marketing campaigns. It should complement them. Email is probably the most valuable communication avenue even today. You want to use email to deliver the content that you pump out across your channels to deliver recurring value to your audience's inbox day after day after day as you build up that goodwill over time. So you have to figure out not just which channels work best for your business, but also how heavily to weigh content marketing in proportion to other things like outbound lead gen, paid ads, and affiliate marketing. I asked Joe if the role of a dedicated content platform is becoming more important or less so in this evolving era where short, snappy micro content is dominating the social spheres and our collective attention. Not every company needs a content marketing strategy, but I believe innovative companies absolutely do need one. And the reason is, is that if everyone shuts off your access to audiences of social media, shuts off their access and media companies you can't market and you can't use Google anymore for whatever reason, what are you left with? So really the most important thing you can do is build an audience so you have direct communication chain with your prospects and customers. So that's absolutely what I would look to do. Content marketing makes everything better when it comes to traditional marketing. So if you are going out and you're bringing in leads and prospects through traditional marketing and affiliate programs and whatever else you're doing, well, if you have an owned channel that you can set them to, an email newsletter, a great podcast, a webinar series, and you can build trust with them over time and not have the hard sell, that's the absolute best way to do it. That's the problem with a lot of traditional marketing is you have to sell right away and you have to drive value very quickly or they may not ever come back to you again. With content marketing, you can take your time. You can deliver valuable, relevant information on an ongoing basis and really start to build a trusting relationship. And your traditional marketing that you're doing and your advertising can all lead into that content brand that you built. So if you look at some of the amazing companies out there, Aero, Electron, Aero Electronics, Fortune 120 company, uh, $34 billion company. They have 30 plus different brands that they are the leading uh, media company in the B2B electronic space. Isn't it amazing that they have that access and they can sell whenever they want to and they don't have to force that sell at any time. How did Red Bull become Red Bull? Through Red Bull Media House, that owned platform. How did Procter & Gamble become Procter & Gamble? Because in the 30s and 40s, they started doing soap operas and they're still around today doing amazing things like Homemade Simple and they're building uh, new products around content brands. So that's what I would say. Content marketing is, is important. Uh, is it any more important than anything else? I'm biased. I think it is because of the fact that it gives you more control over the distribution of your business. And if somebody takes away distribution, I mean, you know this, if you build a business and you don't own distribution, if Amazon owns it, if eBay owns distribution, if Google owns distribution, if Apple owns distribution, you're locked. You don't have any control. They make the decisions. So that's the great thing about content marketing is you can build an audience and build an amazing database of your customers and prospects. And that should come first. I want to reiterate that key point. Do not build your house on rented land where you're reliant on a social media platform for your growth or for your income. You wanna go fishing out in those social 
worlds. You want to reel those audiences in, but then you want to convert them on your owned properties and platforms. Now, established brands like Aero Electronics, Red Bull, and P&G understand that to Joe's point. They've built content programs that are value additive to their core business, yet separate and distinct from it. They own the content, the distribution channels, and the email addresses that they've collected. They've also created marketing profit houses within these initiatives. In other words, marketing that pays for itself. If you can offset the costs associated with creating, managing, and promoting your content house through creative monetization, then not only does content become easier to justify and scale, but it starts pumping out dividends in many other ways. How you choose to monetize depends on your audience's interests, needs, and behaviors. But once you reach critical mass, it could very well be that your content channel is your primary business. It could also be an ancillary channel to funnel people toward other products and services at the core of what you do. And to that point, there are really only 10 ways to monetize through content marketing. They include products, services, subscriptions, advertising and sponsorships, conferences or events, premium content, donations, recurring customers, upsells or yield increases, cross-sales or complimentary offers. Of these 10 tried and true monetization options, I wondered which have the biggest untapped opportunities or unrealized potential for content entrepreneurs in 2022. Loyalty and exclusive sponsorships are two that sit at the forefront. I think the most untapped one and my favorite one is loyalty. I mean, I go back to, I'm a historian when it comes to content marketing, John Deere launches the Furrow Magazine in 1895. It's still around today. Why did they launch the Furrow Magazine? Because they were trying to get John Deere buyers to buy John Deere all, every time that they needed a new piece of equipment. And so they sent them the Furrow Magazine to help them become better farmers. Amazing, right? So that's what we're trying to do as well with our communications. I mean, I'm, I drive a Mazda. I love Mazdas and they send me every couple months Mazda magazine. I think it could be a little bit better, but I love it. You know, Lego magazine, my kids love Lego magazine and they bought so many more Legos because we, they were focused on keeping their customers. It's so much better to keep a customer, so much less costly to keep a customer than have to go out and continually get a new one. If you're asking me the opportunities for 2022, I'd probably say sponsorship because of the fact that a lot of large companies that traditionally have not spent money with smaller content creators are now doing that. They've now made the budget. You've seen podcasting, advertising explode. So I think that's a huge opportunity for 2022 and beyond to put together sponsorship packages and sell limited inventory that you might have to create um, ex you know, exclusive experiences along with your sponsors. It's also worth noting that with the emergence of Web3, the opportunity to make money in new ways or using variations of these strategies could open the floodgates for content entrepreneurs. In terms of the maturation of Web3 for creators, we're still in the top of the first inning, so a lot remains to be seen. But Joe is very bullish on the evolving application of NFTs and never-ending tokens for online businesses willing to experiment with these types of projects. I absolutely think there's an opportunity in Web3 and tokenization. I mean, today we're in the 95 and 96 in internet years, but if you're asking me, can a content creator tokenize their community in some way through social tokens or non-fungible tokens, NFTs, and monetize that? Absolutely. I've seen a lot of my friends have done really well with their NFT launches. For, for us at The Tilt now, we have um, Creator Economy Expo. That's our annual event every May, and we have an NFT called... Um, our never-ending ticket, CEX never-ending ticket, so that you can give out VIP access 
and lifetime ticket access to people that want to spend a little bit more. So I would say if you are somebody that has a little bit different kind of an inventory, you can create a scarce uh, or a limited experience by tokenizing it, then absolutely you should look at that. And it's a great time to test and see what works and focus on your super fans and your super fans will give you great feedback ongoing. So yes, absolutely into the future, Web3 should be looked as a priority, I think, into 24, 25, who knows how quickly this is going to go, but it's definitely not going away. To wrap up, listen, content marketing is without a doubt the best approach to building a large audience semi-quickly. When we commit to sharing educational information with our audience, we earn trust and build brand equity. And in the long run, you can sell brand at higher prices than the one-two punch of direct sales. But content marketing should only be one piece of your integrated lead generation puzzle, right? It should never replace other me methods of uh, audience building or client attraction. It should fit into everything else that you're doing, right? So do not rely on building your brand alone, but look to lean on it more heavily as you establish your market presence. Ultimately, the goal is to build a loyal audience with numerous direct revenue streams feeding off of that asset. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this look at how CMI was started, scaled, and sold, and how you can use content to grow your business as well. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. My book, Content Capitalist, is on sale now. Grab your copy by visiting my website or tapping the link in the episode description. I also just released the online learning portal, which expands on what I share in the book. This includes four hours of edited, captioned video tutorials and trainings, plus dozens of downloadables and templates. Between the book and the e-academy, you're going to be equipped to literally blow your revenue targets out of the water and eviscerate your competition this year, all by putting content at the core. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate, review, comment, and share all the things. And hit me up on LinkedIn if you'd like to connect. I am here to serve you. And that's it. I will see you in the next episode.